Hi everyone, this is Pastor Ramona. This is episode three of Let Us Talk About It. This episode features Tanja Thompson, who is a two-time breast cancer survivor. So sit back and enjoy this podcast as she goes into details about her personal journey with cancer. Tanja has a personal journey that um, I think we all can learn from. Um, And let me give you a basic introduction. I'm not going to tell everything, but Tanja's um, a retired veteran. Um, She is a TEDx talk um, speaker, or are you a chairperson speaker? I'm speaker and a curator. All right. Um, she's a two-time breast cancer survivor, if I didn't say that already. And if you want to see her, um, her TED talk, um, she'll give you that information. She's a mother, a grandmother. She has, I mean, a, a laundry list of things, but I'll let her talk about that. However, this time I'm going to turn the mic over to Tanja. Tanja, welcome and thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to to educate us. Thank you, Ramona. I appreciate that. I appreciate the introduction. I appreciate our our long, long, long time um, friendship. Yes. Um, being in the military, we've ate, we've eaten on some of the same bark. We've been in a, a lot of the same yes. places. And, you know, even after all of these years, over 20 some years, we are um, still friends. We still yes. call ourselves friends. And I know whenever I'm in your area, I will visit you and as you the same. And, you know, yes. friendship is not always one of those things that you have to talk and see each other every day all the time but when you can you make the time to do so and that's what I appreciate about our friendship is that no matter what we are we will support each other in the best way that we can and that's what I call um, true friendship and again thank you so very much for giving me the opportunity to tell my story as it relates to my breast cancer journey and being a two-time survivor. And, you know, I was actually having a dialogue with someone the other day and she was asking about, are you hypersensitive? And I said, you know, that is very interesting. And it's interesting in the fact that as a two-time survivor, my, I was first diagnosed in 2005. But the ironic thing about that, just about 14 or 15 months prior to that, in 2003, I had my baseline and my baseline showed totally clear. So I was like 41 years old when I had my my mammogram. There's no one in my family that has breast cancer. No one has been diagnosed and even, you know, gone down the laundry list of, of family members. And when I found out in 2005, you know, most people you hear, they have a either a lumpectomy or it isn't, it isn't that bad. And when they did the mammogram, which they did about three, and they said, Ms. Thompson, when we die, when most people 
when most people come, it's usually in a form of one area and most individuals are able to get a lumpectomy. And she said, Ms. Thompson, yours is scattered throughout both of your breasts. And she said, what's so ironic is she said, the reason that we're really looking at this is because just 14 or so months later, prior, you had your baseline. There was nothing on your baseline. And now because yours is throughout both breasts, she said, think of it like a buckshot. You know how a gun with a buckshot, it sprays out. And she said, that's how your cancer is. Hi everyone, this is Let Us Talk About It featuring Pastor Ramona and I am here with you today featuring another person is Tanja Thompson. We started a podcast a couple days ago, um, but we're going to finish it up today. Um, We were talking about um, her breast cancer journey and some of the things she's going to talk about besides that I'm sure I'll let her surprise you, but she has some things going on. Anyway, time to go ahead and let's do this thing. All right. Thank you, Ramona. Um, As I mentioned earlier, uh, Ramona and I have been knowing each other for a very long time. We've eaten on some of the same barkmen in some of the same places. And I believe where I left off, I was talking about my first battle with breast cancer. It's being a two-time breast cancer survivor. And I believe we left off in talking about the biopsy. Yes. And how the doctor made the decision Mm -hmm. to not only look at one breast, but he decided to look at both breasts and how the second breast being the left one, which is statistically women if they're going to get breast cancer, it's usually on the on the left side, and just so happened the my cancer was more prevalent on the left side. From there, because of being in the military, and at that time, Andrews really did not have the capacity to take to do the 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 testing as well as the surgery. I end up going to. Walter Reed, old Walter Reed in Washington, D.C. So that's basically was my second um, diagnosis. I mean, not diagnosis, but um, my second opinion. And in that, they it was they do it in a triage type format where they bring in all of the doctors, everyone from chemotherapy, radiation, all of those individuals. And it's an all-day all day um, session where you are visiting all these different doctors and my husband Phil was with me at the time and that's when they confirmed what Andrew's diagnosis was and that I needed a bilateral mastectomy because the cancer was like a buckshot as I mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. so it was throughout both breasts and my cancer, ironically, it's a fast-growing cancer. And they they knew that at the rate that it was spreading, that if they didn't do anything soon, mm-hmm. that it would be a lot worse than what it actually was. So initially, my the triage there at, at Walter Reed was the beginning of May. Two weeks, three weeks later, I was in surgery. Wow. And in that surgery, they took 
all of the tissue from both breasts um, to include the nipples mm -hmm. and they do what is called a skin sparing and that's Skin sparing is just enough to put the expanders on it. Okay. And they, whenever someone has breast cancer, the, one of the first things that they look at is your lymph nodes. Okay. So in the lymph nodes, they just do, they just do the, the first um, set of lymph nodes, and those were the sentinel nodes. Okay. So when they took out the sentinel nodes, they also biopsy those as well, just to make sure that the breast cancer hasn't spread to the, the lymph nodes. And that also becomes problematic because if it's spread through the lymph nodes, mm -hmm. which is no our um, lymphatic system, and which regulates a lot of mm -hmm. our not only hormones but just our, our lymphatic system right. overall and fortunately mine had not spread Good. and they didn't have to go back in and look at any of any more nodes and because and this is the part that often makes me wonder and of course doctors can only do what they can do based on the information that they have and the statistics that they use mm -hmm. because they had taken all of my tissue mm -hmm. and taken all of the skin or primarily all of the skin the decision was that I did not need radiation and did not need chemotherapy because what they did was equivalent to chemotherapy and radiation because they took everything. Okay. And we talk about comfort, mm -hmm. and there was actually comfort in knowing that, oh, I will never get breast cancer again. Right. Right. So I say that, right? Uh -huh. I say that, and even going to... Um, not therapy, but counseling. I went mm -hmm. to group counseling. My chief master sergeant and my husband, I'd say they did an intervention and because I didn't want anybody to know about my breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to seem like I was a victim. And right. just being very private and people looking at you, oh, that's the person with breast cancer. Oh, that's the girl with mm -hmm. breast cancer. And definitely when you're active duty in the military, you know, as a woman, you have enough. And then African-American woman as well, mm -hmm. you have enough to, to deal with. And you didn't want that to hinder your ability to move up in the ranks. Exactly. And... Uh, so I they they I went to group counseling actually there at the Pentagon, mm -hmm. and during the session I would hear women talk about how they had a lumpectomy, mm -hmm. and I can remember someone saying that they said, "Well, at least you don't have to worry about having breast cancer again." I was like, "Yeah," because they've taken everything, and I I never have to worry about breast cancer again, mm -hmm. and that is the I would say the comfort, but then also in your mind mm -hmm. that, oh, I don't have to worry about this again. Mm -hmm. Well, let's fast forward five years, almost to the month and to the day of my initial diagnosis, and I had breast cancer a second time. Wow. And at that time, my youngest son, Tyson, was in and out of the hospital. Right. In that April, I found the lump. And this is what I call when you 
have to go into self-advocacy mode. Mm -hmm. That April, I went to the breast clinic there at Walter Reed, and I told the doctor, you know, and and of course, you know, you go to the breast clinic, Mm -hmm. the breast clinic, Mm -hmm. and the expectation is that they will take your concern and they will act on it. Mm-hmm. And I go, I make an appointment. I say, hey, I found the lump. And this, um, I've had a bilateral mastectomy. The doctor discounted, one, that there was even a lump there. Two, that I was being paranoid. Wow. And that... I had had a bilateral mastectomy, so there shouldn't be anything there anyways. Mm -hmm. I said to her and I said to myself, but there shouldn't be anything there. Right. I had a bilateral mastectomy. I have implants. Mm -hmm. There shouldn't be anything there. Mm -hmm. I immediately, that same day, I went over to my plastic surgeon, Dr. Bonacari. I will never forget that guy. Mm-hmm. He's my second lifesaver. Wow. He just so happens, he happened to be in the office there in the plastic um, surgery clinic there at Walter Reed. He knew me. He had mm-hmm. been in because he had done my, my first one. And I said, Dr. Bonacari, I said, I feel a lump here on my, again, my left side. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, let me do an examination. So he did the examination and he's like, huh, yeah, I do feel something. And this is what he said. He said, Tanja, if I didn't know you, Mm -hmm. if I had not done the surgery, I may too think the same way that the breast clinic thought. Mm -hmm. He said, but because I did your surgery, Mm -hmm. he said, you're right. There shouldn't be anything there. And also knowing that your first diagnosis, your left side was more problematic than the other one. He set me up and for that very same day. He said, do you have time? I said, absolutely. He said, let's go ahead and get a, a mammogram or, or no, an ultrasound because I couldn't do mammograms. Right. He said, let's get an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. He said, let's get an x-ray mm-hmm. and let's get a sonogram. Mm-hmm. We did all of those three things. Mm-hmm. The, of course, the sonogram showed that there was there was something there, mm-hmm. but of course they can't tell what it is. And the it was the x-ray or the the other so there was another test that was done I forgot the which one it was and I would say a week or so later he called me up and he said Tanja the the radiologist says that yes there's something there but they can't conclusively say mm-hmm. what it is he said I know for you your comfort level mm-hmm. you want something done mm-hmm. he said but what I'm going to what I'm going to need for you to do is go back over to the breast clinic. Mm-hmm. He said, because that is, he said, but what I will do, if, if you want me to be there, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. So I go back over to the breast clinic. I said, Dr. Bonacare, I think I, I can handle it from at this point. He said, but you know, I'm always here. I go back over to the breast clinic and talk to them and they say well you know it doesn't really say what it is I say no it doesn't but it doesn't conclusively or inconclusively whatever word you want to use Mm -hmm. say that it's not cancer right they said okay 
why don't we do a needle biopsy Mm -hmm. where we just puncture the skin and just get a small sample since it's right there on the surface. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, fine. So they do the needle biopsy and it comes back that it's just scar tissue. Okay. Most people would be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I was not okay with that. In my head, all I could keep reiterating is, it's not supposed to be there. It's not supposed to be there. It's not supposed to be there. Right. They say, well, it doesn't, it doesn't show anything. And I can even remember Phil, because again, as I mentioned earlier, Tyson was in and out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And... You know, when you, Phil was, Phil was definitely my rock. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, Tanja, they said it's not anything. We'll be right back. We're back. So Phil, as I mentioned earlier, um, was my rock. And Tyson was in and out of the hospital. And when I, when I made the decision that I needed to have that lump removed, Tyson was like due to go to the hospital like two days later. Wow. And what they decided to do, and Artisha, my daughter, actually ended up taking me to that appointment. Mm -hmm. And they took the lump out. Now, mind you, I still have an implant. Mm. <laughs> I still have so and unfortunately Dr. Bonacari was there mm-hmm. because he needed to ensure that they didn't puncture right. the 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 silicone there. They take the lump and they use butterfly. It was yeah. They just used some some strips okay. to to close it up. And it wasn't a large incision at mm-hmm. all. So they they take the they do the samples and it comes back positive. Wow! Not for one cancer, but I had three cancers at mm. this point. And all I could think about was, had I not been a self-advocate for myself Mm -hmm. it would have turned out totally different yes it would have turned out totally different and as a result of that the they start talking about okay you need to what what the next course was because I was actually on travel with my job Mm -hmm. when I got the word oh wow and Soon as and I was due to come back like that next day, and I immediately when I came back, I went straight to the hospital. Mm -hmm. They didn't even want to give me my results because the doctor wasn't there in the breast clinic. Oh, wow! I said, Wait a minute, I've had breast cancer before, right? I need to know what's going on exactly. I ended up having to go to the plastic surgeon, Dr. Bonacari, so that he could get the results to tell me what it was. So let's move forward just by a couple of weeks. Okay. Mind you, I said that they, I had an implant, and they took the lump. They used Steri strips. 
Mm-hmm. I'm on travel with my job. Mm-hmm. And I notice, hmm, this wound isn't closing up. Mm-hmm. I come back off of travel, immediately make an appointment and go to the clinic. And now, mind you, I have an implant, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a, a about the size, it wasn't even the size of a quarter, maybe a penny or where it's open. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, just here goes some antibacterial cream mm-hmm. to put over it mm-hmm. so that it is, it'll, it'll continue to close and it'll continue to heal. Right. It wasn't the same doctor. It was a different doctor. And I go back out. So this is like um, now by this time is probably at least a month or so have gone by. The hole has gotten bigger. It's probably about the size of two quarters. Oh, no. I can actually see the implant at this point. I'm looking down. Huh. That's kind of, that's getting bigger. I'm looking yeah. down at my breast. That's getting bigger. I go back to the breast clinic mm-hmm. because they're the ones that did it. None of the doctors are there. And so I remember the doctor or someone, someone says, you, you need to go over to the wound clinic. And you need to have someone over to the wound clinic to look at that. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, was the wound clinic? Just so happens, the wound clinic, the person sits like right next to, or the offices are right there near the plastic surgeon okay. clinic. Go say, hey, I need to speak to the wound doctor. And they was like, okay, so they make the, um, I'm making, the, the appointment is just that day. Mm-hmm. And I, the doctor or nurse, or who, it was a nurse, she looks at it. She's like, well, I don't know what to do with that. She, I was like, well, they told me oh, I need no. to come and see you. She's like, mm. she says, that is an open wound there. Mm-hmm. You have an implant. I can't close that up because there could be a potential of infection. Wow. I was like, huh? She's like, yeah. She's like, okay. I need to get someone in here that's a professional. Mm-hmm. Dr. Bonacari was not there. Okay. So another doctor comes in, and he says, Miss um, Thompson, that's an open wound. She said, he says, so that means that your implant is now compromised. I'm wondering that. Because there could be infection, there could be bacteria under there because it's been open for so long. I'm like, uh, uh, so I'm not, all of this is still not really comprehending, right? Right. right. So that doctor leaves out. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned he asked me who my doctor was. So he calls Dr. Bonacari. Mm-hmm. Dr. Bonacari is not there. He comes back and said, Miss Thompson, we need for you to go into surgery today. Mm, no, I, I can't do <laughs> surgery today. My son is in the hospital. My no one knows that. No one knows I'm here. I said my husband probably knows I'm here, but right. like they don't know I'm here about to have With surgery. Yeah. They's like, well, you don't understand the seriousness of the potential of infection and the bacteria that could be encompassed in that open wound. My goodness. So he says, Dr. Bonacari said, you need to go to surgery today. I can't do surgery today. I can come back tomorrow. They said, so they go back and they said, okay, Dr. Bonacari will be here. We need, so they give me all of this paperwork and stuff 
for surgery the next day. Wow. Artisha brings me to surgery the next day because Phil is still dealing with Tyson. Mm. They do, they bring me in and Dr. Bonacari, he's the, like again, I mentioned my lifesaver. Mm -hmm. He says, um, Tanja, I, I know this is, this was, un, this is, you, this isn't what you expected. And he said, so let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to take out the implant. Mm -hmm. He says, but because you already have radiation scheduled, we can never put another implant there. He said, because your skin was already stretched from the first surgery. Right. So we can't stretch it again. There's only so much stretching that can be done with your skin. Wow. He said, and then I'm going to need for you to come back in a month mm -hmm. because we need to now debreed or go in and clean out that Ooh. wound. Good. <laughs> they do the surgery that day, and it's still kind of flabby. Mm-hmm. He said, because we need to make sure that there is no infection. Right. So they they come, I come back, I go back a month later, mm -hmm. and that's when they ensure that everything is clean. They give me mm -hmm. all these antibiotics and everything to just make sure that there's no, he said, because we can't permanently close you up. Because if there's, if there's infection, mm -hmm. that means that we have to go back in and, again. So yeah. we need to, we have to just close you up. Take the implant out, close you up, and then come out and debreed everything. Wow. So that was a month later. And I actually have pictures. In my book, it shows the picture of what that looked like wow. with the with stitches from here mm -hmm. all the way across okay. to here. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, there was no infection. Thank Good. God there was no Good. infection. There was um, no disease or anything Good. that would prevent me to moving forward mm -hmm. and soon after that is when I started with the chemo and radiation chemo started one October okay and wow. I did so a lot of you know you think yeah. about the time frame yeah. a lot of this is fast moving mm -hmm. and so my my first chemo treatment I'll never forget it was one October Within two weeks, my hair was already starting to, to fall out. Mm -hmm. And I did six rounds of chemo. Mm -hmm. Went through all the highs and lows of, of chemo. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, I had a job that really worked with me so that I could work from home. I mm -hmm. took time off uh, for myself. And all of that is in my book as well. Mm -hmm. And the name of my book is What to Expect When You Wasn't Expecting Breast Cancer. Nice title. Yeah, I, nice I, title. I once I heard it, it was like, yeah, mm -hmm. that's 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 it. Mm -hmm. And then I did twenty eight rounds of radiation. Mm -hmm. So imagine, imagine your skin, my left side being compromised as many times in many surgeries that I had, mm -hmm. just to remove skin tissue. And you mm -hmm. think about. Most people, when they, and I've heard people talk about their experience with radiation, mm -hmm. and 
it was, oh, no, I didn't really get burned. Mm-hmm. Mine was so bad it was third-degree burns. My goodness. Where it was blisters. Mm-hmm. Because my skin had been, all of my skin, well, first of all, from the first um, first diagnosis, mm-hmm. they took the skin. Right. And then they stretched the, the skin. skin. Yeah. And then they took all of that skin off. Right. So it was already very fragile. <laughs> oh my gosh. And very thin. Mm-hmm. So my radiation, when it hit, it blistered. Wow. By the, the, by the, by the end, my skin was dark. It was blistered. It was sored. Mm-hmm. And it was so bad that it radiated to the back of my back. Oh my. Where my back looked like someone had just beat me up. Wow. It was just so radiation, it was just that powerful. Mm -hmm. And what I also think about with radiation is the internal effects Mm -hmm. on your heart and on your um, all of your vital organs. Because it's, yeah, because you think about it, radiation as they try to contain it, Mm -hmm. but you know that it's affecting other areas Mm -hmm. of, of your body. And Going through all of that, I actually got a new job when I was um, going through like the latter part of my, my radiation, I mean, mm-hmm. latter part of my chemo. And I actually told the the hiring official, I said, listen, and her name's Lisa Wigfall, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person. And I said, I'm, I'm right now I'm on my second to last chemo and I'm gonna start radiation. I said, just for full disclosure, I, I I really want this job. This is really something that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And you know what she said to me? She said, first of all, you came highly recommended. She said, the person that I talked to about you said that if you can get her, you need to get her. Wow. And then what also added to my credentials was that I was a military veteran. Yes. And her husband was in the Marines. And mm. she's like, if I can hire someone from the military, I know the what you bring to the table. And she's like, I know that you may be out, but I know you're going to give 110%. Right. Because that's what you all do as far as military veterans. Mm-hmm. And I didn't disappoint her. See, I know that's right. <laughs> I didn't disappoint her. And I, so what a lot of people um, don't know, and, and I didn't even... I even hesitated about telling Phil. I actually found a third lump. Wow. And it was right after chemo. And I think I had finished radiation, I think. But at this this time it was on the it was on the on the right side. And, you know, I, I battled and went back and forth, back and forth. Should I tell? Shouldn't I tell? Mm-hmm. Am I going to go through chemo? Am I going to go through radiation? Mm-hmm. And I can I understand and I can see the fight that individuals have when they mm-hmm. have a diagnosis. And if it's a second diagnosis, and at the, what stage that they receive that diagnosis, mm-hmm. do they tell somebody? Mm-hmm. Because you know what you you go through but it's also what you're managing family members expectations and friends expectations and so fortunately there was no biopsy i told them i said listen this is this is number three Mm -hmm. we really need to make sure 
that we get it the first time. Yes. So they end up doing a lumpectomy. Okay. And it came out that it was that this particular time it was scar tissue. Good. So there wasn't a third diagnosis. Good, 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 good. But you know, that reminds me of a, a colleague of mine and his sister um died mm-hmm. from breast cancer. Mm-hmm. She never told her family because when she was diagnosed she was diagnosed at stage four. Wow. She never told her family. Her family battled with why she was acting the way that she was doing, mm-hmm. acting the way that she was. Why was she doing all these different, just crazy to them at that particular time, mm-hmm. why she was doing the stuff that she was doing mm-hmm. and why she was spending money the way she was, mm-hmm. why she was selling stuff and had a house and moved into someone's basement and could not understand why until it got to the point where she was in the hospital. Wow. And just the anger of the family members. Mm-hmm. And he was sharing with he was sharing with me and mm-hmm. I said, you know, you may seem you may feel that she was being selfish. I said, but you know, at the end of the day, just from my perspective as someone mm-hmm. who's been diagnosed twice with it mm-hmm. and then actually having a, a scare the third time mm-hmm. she was trying to protect you all yep protect you from what you what she she was going through it and not wanting you all to feel or have pity for her right and i can i said i don't know if i would have done anything any differently Wow. To be perfect, to be perfectly honest, and and the thing is, you never know what someone is dealing with until you walk into someone else's exactly. shoes. It's mm-hmm. easy to say what you would and wouldn't do mm-hmm. until, but you don't know until you actually have that diagnosis. That's true. And actually, you're walking that walk. We right. a lot of times we have more strength than what we actually think we do, and we don't know until we actually have the have. To, really faced with those issues and that's one thing i admire about you tanya is i was like this is one heck of a strong woman Mm -hmm. Um, i've known tanya we met in 89 i can't believe that that's Mm -hmm. 30 years ago time has flown time has flown (laughs) and i used to be your supervisor (laughs) can you imagine that Uh, yeah So that's how long I've known her. And we had some growing pains. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Mona didn't like me. Well, not that she she didn't didn't like me. I didn't know her. I didn't know her. Yeah. And, you know, when you don't know people, Mm -hmm. she's like, she's mean, and she's this, and she's hard on us, and blah. Can you remember? Oh, Oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah. But it's amazing how, even in that breaking it prepared me to be the person that I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I'm totally competent and can do anything because of the supervision I had when I was in the military. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I do not regret any of those years, even with, you know, Chief being like the thorn <laughs> oh my in my side. Chief Ralston? Chief Ralston was a bear. Oh, he was a bear, but... Oh, my goodness. But he taught us he a taught, lot. Uh, he did. He expected the best, and exactly. he held us to what we were capable of. Mm-hmm. He didn't hold us to what we thought we could do. He mm-hmm. held us to mm-hmm. what he saw mm-hmm. in us. And mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. But this journey, your your personal journey, even through that, because by 2005, I had retired. So I wasn't mm-hmm. there when you went through it. I just, you just told me things as Please. you told me things. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, and I used to, she used to get out there and she'd run and run and run. And I was like, mm-mm, not doing it. <laughs> and so it just surprised me that, you know, as healthy as you were. And I know. you watched what you ate and you were very athletic and you still are. And all of that, that we're still not exempt from things that, that, that can happen to us. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have no control over those things. Yeah. But the strength of going through that, and like you said, going through you know, the, the situations you have with your son, um, mm-hmm. it's a lot it's for, a lot. on one person. And mm-hmm. what, do you, what did you do to keep you grounded? Because a lot of people struggle with any type of illness, um, no matter how big or small it is. And I know it has to do sometimes with your family component, mm-hmm. but what personal care did you do during those times? It's interesting that you asked that question. And if I had to boil it down to one thing, and I can only, I can really boil it down to one thing, and that is my faith in God. Mm-hmm. And you think about when if you are a believer and it's something to be said about a true believer mm-hmm. if you are a true believer and and I am not squashing and I do not judge anyone on their belief right I can only believe and have faith based on my belief and in mm-hmm. my upbringing and I can always, I can remember my grandmother. My grandmother, Willie Mae Harris, taught me how to pray. Mm-hmm. She taught me how to call on God. If I'm dealing with something, if I, if I need his guidance. Mm-hmm. And I wake up in the morning and I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. I go through the day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. When Tyson was in the hospital, mm-hmm. I never worried about if he was going to make it or not. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's God's will. We are born to die. Yes, We we come into this world with it already stamped on when we're going to die, if we take a certain path. Mm -hmm. What kept me grounded was my faith in God. And my faith never wavered. It never wavered when Tyson was born at one pound and five ounces. Mm -hmm. My faith never wavered when my grandbaby died at two years old, Mm -hmm. less than two years ago, where I presided over her funeral. Yes. My faith never wavered when diagnosed with the first time, diagnosed with the second time. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, and I believe this, that God does not give us the, and I can't think of how to phrase this, but he doesn't give us discernment of fear. No, he doesn't. We should, he doesn't fear. Fear fears itself. Mm-hmm. And when we start letting fear into our, our, our mental capacity, our mental, mental, just our mental being, mm-hmm. that's when we start le- losing faith. And because I don't have that I don't have fear. Now, yeah, I may get afraid about something, mm-hmm. but where that fear just constantly plagues in is I can't mm-hmm. because as soon as I start, it's like a disease. It's like a, a wildfire. Mm-hmm. It then will consume your every being. Yes. And I don't let fear 
And so those two things, Mm -hmm. having faith and not letting fear consume me. Those are very imperative, regardless, I believe, um, of where you are and what you're doing, whether you have, you're battling against something that could be life-threatening or not. It could be just a matter of sometimes just walking across the street when there's traffic. You you can allow fear to, to... to paralyze you and put yourself in jeopardy. So, and just knowing and knowing and believing without wavering who God is, is definitely instrumental, I believe, Mm -hmm. because I'm a believer. So I believe that you will become what you're supposed to become if you don't let fear stop you from getting there. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I want to ask you is, you said it, but the first time you were diagnosed, you said you had no clue. You didn't feel anything. So when you went and 14 months after having your baseline and they said you had, it looked like a um, buckshot, that had to just blow your mind. You know what I said? Let me tell you what I told the doctor. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And even, so... One of the things, and I think I may have shared it in in the first in the first segment, was I had to get at least four mammograms mm-hmm. before they actually diagnosed me. Wow! I never thought about having breast cancer. Mm-hmm. I never feared that I would have breast cancer. Mm-hmm. When the doctor said, "Miss Thompson, you have breast cancer, and it's like a buckshot, and it's throughout both both breasts." You know what I said? What you said? I said, doctor, how are you telling a 42-year-old woman she about to lose her breasts? <laughs> that's the first that's thing the first I said. that's the first thing I would think, too. I was like, how are you telling me I'm going to lose? She's like, Mr. she just thought about She was like, Miss Thompson, that's why we're going to send you for a second opinion. And you can work with the doctors on what you want mm-hmm. as, a, as your um, reconstruction. Okay. And that's when we decided to actually have the reconstruction and have the expanders mm-hmm. put under my breast okay. uh, under my under the skin. tissue mm-hmm. yeah under the skin it's so funny because I, in jokingly and seriously too mm-hmm. I tell I used to t- I tell people and I think I just told someone this just a couple days ago I said yeah oh it's so funny so I saw um Pastor Michelle, she she lives here in the neighborhood. So I just saw her like two days ago. Mm-hmm. And she was walking with some some clinicians and we were talking about breast cancer. Now, no, they was there was clinicians, but they was in the school system. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I went from B's to C's. Mm-hmm. Now, because I'm talking to educators, they're thinking, talking about grades. grades. <laughs> <laughs> and they went, Oh, it's like, no, I'm talking about went from B's to C's here. So I start putting it at my chest, and man, oh, man, they start cracking oh up. That's but one that time that's bigger than that, <laughs> with the lower number, usually something different. <laughs> we were cracking up, that is cracking up. But that just tells you the perspective mm-hmm. of people, depending on what what where you are and yes. who you're talking to. So I'm talking to educators and they're like, oh <laughs> so they thought they was talking about grades. I'm talking that about my breasts, funny. my boobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other thing I want to this kind of tied in together and you said that um 
you had intervention, your husband and your supervisor intervened by mm -hmm. um, suggesting that you go to counseling. Mm -hmm. And that tied in with self-advocacy because mm -hmm. um, some people will refuse counseling yeah. and some people refuse to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. But you emphasize that both of those things were instrumental for you. Yeah. And how, even though they're different, it made a difference in your end result, I think, mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. far as counseling and then the self-advocacy part. But the counseling part with the military, how difficult was that? Was it easy to get in? Was it challenging? How did that go for you? Let me tell you about that, because that's a story in itself. And I talked to a number of different women mm -hmm. about their breast cancer diagnosis. And it's usually, when you go to counseling typically, at the, when you're first diagnosed, it's in, I would say within that year of your, of your initial diagnosis. So a friend of mine, in the, she, this was probably about, about two months ago, mm -hmm. she, her and I were talking and she said, Tanja, um, they want me to go to counseling. They shut up. They said I should go to counseling. She said, did you go to counseling? And I said, I did. And I said, let me tell you what I learned about counseling. First of all, it was very easy to get into counseling. Good. And I was the life of the party. <laughs> Believe it or not, I was the life of the party. So what I told her, and I said, and her name is Kim. Mm -hmm. I said, Kim, this is what I learned from counseling. Because Kim's prior military as well. Mm -hmm. I said, counseling was not necessarily for me, Kim. Mm -hmm. Counseling was for me to help those that were there. Mm -hmm. Because I was so upbeat, mm -hmm. because I was so forthcoming, mm -hmm. because I was one that always spoke out, mm -hmm. when I didn't show up, they were pissed. <laughs> How you not come to the session today? And I was like, because I didn't. And that's when I realized mm -hmm. that I was actually making an impact and that maybe my gift is to help others get through this diagnosis and get through this tragedy mm -hmm. of finding out that you have breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just a slither of hope can make all the difference. And she's like, oh my gosh, Tanja, thank you so very much. Thank you, oh my gosh, thank you so much. She said, because I don't need to sit up there and tell people about how I feel. I said, it may not be about you, Kim. I said, God may have you there to help other individuals get through what they need to get through. Mm -hmm. And in that, I also, you talk about self-advocacy, we depend on professionals to know and to tell us what they know. Right. And like someone told me, I, I did a, another podcast, and she's like, why they call it practicing? You know, doctors, you know, they have a practice because they practice. They are. Be, so, you know, you think about that, and you think about when you hear that in the back of your head, you hear something, mm -hmm. it's important that you understand 
where that voice is coming from. And as I mentioned, remember I told you earlier, all I could keep telling them when I found the lump the second time, mm -hmm. it's not supposed to be here. Right. It's not supposed to be here. That is what was constantly in my head. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to be here. That helped me in being a South African. Mm -hmm. Because I, how can you tell somebody how if I'm saying to a practitioner, I'm telling to a, I'm saying to a doctor, it's not supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to be here. What else can they say? Right, right. At some point or another, someone is going to listen. Mm -hmm. And you, and as long as you, as a patient, if you're self advocating for yourself, as long as you keep in the frame of what this really means and feels for you, mm -hmm. you just keep moving forward. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And then eventually someone is going to listen. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's imperative for practitioners and clinicians to hear what their patients slash clients are saying. Mm -hmm. There is a time when the textbook mm. and the research may not mirror what's presently in front of you. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to remember. We're all human. We're subject to error. Yeah. But we need to listen to the person because they're not saying it for no reason. Right. At least ease their mind, not necessarily by easing their mind, just saying, oh, baby, you're going to be okay. But ease their mind by doing the best that you can do for that person so their, their mind is at ease with what's going on. Mm -hmm. We can't overshadow that with our, our degrees and our training and all that other stuff that... Mm -hmm. Clinicians and doctors have the tendency to do. <laughs> I say that I work in the mental health field, so that's why I'm, inter I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing that research just bothers me. But anyway, um, and with you being a military veteran, you're 100% disabled veteran. 100% disabled compensated veteran. See, that speaks volumes. You can say what you want to say about the military. However, uh, it takes some work, though. You Sometimes it, it doesn't just sit, take laying back and letting everything fall into place. You have to advocate even for that. Absolutely. Because they don't just, oh, automatically hand you 100%. They don't hand you 100%. No, they mm -hmm. don't. They mm -hmm. didn't when we, we worked in that department. So we yep. know how hard it is yep. um, to get any type of compensation from the military. So congratulations on that. So Thank did you, you want to talk about your book? You mentioned it. So two things I actually want to talk about. Um, my book, um, What to Expect When You Wasn't Expecting Breast Cancer. That book is a compilation of two years of two diagnoses. And when I was diagnosed the first time, I looked high and low for pictures mm -hmm. on what does this look like? What right. does this look like? What other women have gone through this? Mm -hmm. I couldn't find anything. Wow. Or the things that I found were sanitized pictures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really nothing that let's say satisfied my curiosity right and then once I was diagnosed the second time mm -hmm. what does a trans flap look like mm -hmm. what is that process what does it mean when they cut you from one end of your waist to your other side of your waist and they funnel your new breasts upward mm 
Mm-hmm. Does do they take your navel? Does that you know all of those things that us as women mm-hmm. we look for but we can't find. Mm-hmm. What does it look like when you are when your hair is falling out and you look like Fire and Marsha Bill? Right, <laughs> right, exactly. That's exactly the good picture. Yeah, and even us as African American women, we don't want to hear that we have breast cancer. Mm-hmm. We don't want to get tested and because we fear what the results are. Sometimes we need to be afraid. Being afraid and fear is two, two different, different things. things. Mm-hmm. And my book, I want people to see what I went through, even being diagnosed early, mm-hmm. early detection. And then what it looks like when you receive a second diagnosis, mm-hmm. what I had to go through as far as chemo and what radiation. Because mm-hmm. life doesn't stop because you have a diagnosis. That's it. So my book is more of a journal mm-hmm. of what I was going through mm-hmm. in a very raw first person talking to people mm-hmm. in that in those in that span of time and it is out on um is at www.tanjathompson.shop on shopify mm-hmm. and is right now it is out on pre-sale and those that order it for pre-sale one they get a nice bling bling pen as well as they get a autographed copy of the book mm-hmm. the book is not your typical i guess typical book it's mm-hmm. going to be a tabletop so it's larger sizes uh, eight by seven no okay. eight by eleven turn landscape wise okay. mm-hmm. where it's in color okay and all the pictures are undoctored wow and it shows the true essence of what radiation looks like when it when your skin is burnt. Wow. My brother saw the mock up mm-hmm. and it's my youngest brother and he said I feel like throwing up. Wow. And he said I can't unsee what I just saw. Mhm. Mhm. If you ask me what is it that I want as a call of action, Mm -hmm. I want women to get tested. I want women, caregivers, anyone that loves anyone Mm -hmm. to look at this and say, no, not me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ensure that my mother, that my sister, anyone that I know that may be having that one that's at the age mm-hmm. to go get tested. Anyone that's feeling that they have, they look and see that their nipples are inverted, mm-hmm. that is having some type of discharge, that you feel some type of lump, mm-hmm. that you stop and mm-hmm. you make an appointment yes. with, your, with your caregiver. That's what I'm hoping to get out of this book. Also, the book goes into, and very, just very, very briefly, and that is 
certain occupations, mm-hmm. especially women that's in the military, we are military installations. We are subjected to different chemicals based on our occupations. Also, firefighters, as far as police off police women or police officers, because men get breast cancer too, yeah. that we are also more prevalent to have breast cancer. We mm-hmm. get breast cancer at a higher rate. But I think in, I don't know this, um, I've, I've done very limited research on, and that is environmentally mm-hmm. that sometimes because of our occupations also puts us in greater risk mm-hmm. of getting breast cancer. When I was diagnosed in 2005, there were two or either two or either four other women that mm-hmm. was also diagnosed at the same time. Wow. And we were at, we was in a JP1 there in the, the Crystal City. Mm-hmm. And the Army, not the Army, the Navy was, had just left out of that building. And there was, and I don't know it to be a fact, is what I heard, that the Navy left because there was asbestos in that building. Wow. We moved in, the National Guard Bureau moved in later on. Mm-hmm. Not much, probably about a year, or probably even less than a year. I don't even know how long. Mm-hmm. And there, like I said, there was other women that was on my same floor. Wow. On my, on my floor that were diagnosed. And the reason I know it is because when I came back mm-hmm. from my, my first um, diagnosis, I went out in May, and I think I came back in August or September. Mm-hmm. I was on the elevator. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was like my first day. And I looked. I was like, wow, she looks familiar. Mm-hmm. I said, but she done lost a whole lot of weight. Mm-hmm. I went and talked to someone, and I don't know if it was a week or so later, and they said she was diagnosed with breast cancer at stage four, and she's going through chemo and radiation. That's why she's like 80 or 100 pounds lighter. Wow. Because when I saw her, I was like, oh, my gosh, she looks so good. I wonder what she do. Mm-hmm. Then I found out that another one of my colleagues mm-hmm. had also been diagnosed with breast cancer. And those are just the, the two that I know personally. Mm-hmm. And then there was either one or either two other ones. I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly. We've... The Guard Bureau has since moved out of that building. Good. And I think they've torn down the building. About time. I think they've they've torn down the building. And we know environmentally it will be create a breeding ground for cancer and we were seeing that from the results of 9-11, the first defenders or first responders, I should say, from um, 9-11 in New York, how Mm -hmm. how many of those men and women are now have have passed on yeah. or are fighting um, to get some sanctioning done yeah. and some laws passed mm-hmm. because of the destruction of those buildings have created an atmosphere for cancer to be bred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I still feel that way. But yeah. 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 And so the other thing, which I'm just so excited about, and that is my nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So my nonprofit, the name of it is the Breast Cancer Move Foundation, mm-hmm. and that is a a nonprofit mm-hmm. that is really to get individuals to really see what breast cancer is all about, 
what it is all about. And all about in that one early detection is the key. Mm-hmm. And statistically, one in eight women will get a light would get will receive a breast cancer diagnosis in their lifetime. Wow. So just imagine if you have eight women in the room, mm-hmm. one of those individuals will, will receive a breast cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And also to also talk to and reach out as far as outreach to military, mm-hmm. to fire departments, mm-hmm. as well as our police officers in the importance of getting tested mm-hmm. and to understand what that breast cancer diagnosis is looks like. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times we don't understand when we hear DCIS, when we hear invasive, we hear mm-hmm. stage two, stage three, what does chemo, all of those different things. Mm-hmm. So I really want to educate those groups as well as educators and our caregivers mm-hmm. to what it feels like when you receive a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I talked about just those small bits and pieces, but there's so much that there's so much else that goes on mm-hmm. because life is still going on. Right. So how do you manage all of that when you are a just receive a, a diagnosis right. and the and as we mentioned earlier and you saw it I have a a vehicle and that vehicle I'm not going to tell anyone else I'm not going to tell anyone about it because I haven't done the revealing of it but the website is called breast cancer bugs me and that's my tagline is breast cancer bugs me. So I'm really, really excited. And I'm looking hopefully in the next week or so to do a launching of the website mm-hmm. as well as the car to do an unveiling of this new vehicle that, that I have. Is, I'm not going to say anything. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's more of secrecy. It is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. Put it like this. When you see it, you'll know it. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, Tanya, I'm not going to hold be, hold you up any longer. Thank you. I appreciate you doing this with me, and regardless of the technical difficulties oh, the first no. time. That's okay. This That's information okay. has to get out there. So one more time, mm-hmm. give us the information to pre-order your book Okay. and your website. Okay. So the to pre-order my book and to order my book, it is at www.tanjathompson.shop. Again, that is www.tanja, and that's spelled T-A-N-J-A-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N.shop, S-H-O-P. My website and that is www.tanjathompson.com. And that is where I'm, a, I'm promoting really the going out my, my speaking. And then also, we didn't even talk about my TED Talk. We didn't talk no. about the TED Talk. We did? No, we didn't. We didn't. Well, that one, we can put, we'll put that one on the website. We'll put that one on the site. <laughs> yeah. But she did um, a TED, TEDx talk, and it was called From... Tragedy 
from, from triumph from triumph from triumph to tragedy or the other way from tragedy to triumph yeah one of the two it's on youtube <laughs> it's on youtube <laughs> and just have your tissues nearby that's all i have to say oh also that i'm a curator yes. for tedx contacting circle women which is going to be in december it's going to be december the 7th at Leesburg Junction, where I have eight phenomenal speakers. Seven of those are women, and it's talking about the uns. The mm -hmm. uns in our life, unstoppable, undetermined, unequivocal, you know, all of the uns oh, wow. that either help us or either hinder us in, in our lives. All right, so you can see why I had to get her on, because <laughs> she has a lot going on, and I, I'm, I'm excited because it's nice to see women of color yes. moving forward, doing absolutely phenomenal things on their own, and it's great to have a family that supports you as well. Yes, a family, yes. And family and friends, military family, whatever your family unit looks like. Yeah. Just keep someone around you that's going to motivate you and, and push you forward. So, everyone, I thank you for your time. Please share because I will be. And, Tanja, thanks again. Thank you, Ramona. We'll see you all soon. Have a good day. All right. Let's talk about it.